Hey, welcome to another episode of My Kid Wants to Be a Pro Gamer. Today we have a guest coach for many Overwatch teams. You want to introduce yourself? My name's Taylor Diaz. I go by Destroyer Online. I'm a contenders coach. I've been coaching for two years now. I'm currently assistant coach for uh, Revival and uh, trialing for OWL teams and also Tier 3 coach as well. For the parents out there, OWL teams is Overwatch League. Tier 1. <laughs> and pros are Tier 1, the contenders league, the minor league is Tier 2, and Max's team is Tier 3, which is everybody else the open division. It was interesting that you told me a week ago that you were on Bermuda Academy was the best of the Tier 3 teams, and I was assuming that that was just your opinion. So I was online looking around for information about Overwatch League trials, and I came across a ranking on over.gg, and it had you guys listed as ranked number one. And I thought, oh, it wasn't just their opinion. There's actually an official ranking of... Tier 3 teams, you actually are ranked officially the best Tier 3 team. It leads to a question that I have been wrestling with and a lot of parents wrestle with, whether it's esports or traditional sports, how do I know if my kid is good enough or has a potential to be good enough to make it as a pro? How does a parent know that the kid really not only has the desire to be a pro, but has uh, the traits that will help eventually become a pro? Or if the kid is maybe not good enough, maybe delusional, maybe just using it as an excuse to get to play more video games. How does a parent know? For me, it comes down to how thoroughly they can explain the process of their job, right? Because what happened for me whenever I first had the dream of becoming a YouTuber was I saw that people were making livings off of YouTube and then I just thought, hey, I want to do that without actually thinking of the how or all of the... It's a lot more complicated than people think at first. So you either need to explain the specifics of how the mechanics work for like how do you make the money or you have to have a specific idea in mind that will allow you to pursue that career safely and reliably because things like YouTube or gaming while different they are both higher risk and they can both be seen as unstable unless you have a good idea of what you need to do to be the top. I want to perform professionally because I love competition and I always have. And I want to have the competitive thrill that comes with esports like Overwatch. But I also love creation and talking about the things I like. So I'm going to be putting that into a YouTube uh, stream because I want to make people laugh and I like playing games. Taylor, what about you? I, I guess you can tell, probably, based yeah. on your experience, whether a kid has the potential or not to be a pro or to become good enough to be a pro down the road, even if they're a young player, you could probably tell if yeah. they've got the skills, right? Yeah, I mean, it, it, it comes with time, obviously, watching players come and go, watching you know the now professionals play uh, the level they play at. But in order to be really good at, at finding new talent and, and picking kids up that are, are new or maybe don't have as much experience, uh, it's, just, it's bitter realism. Like, if someone is bad and they're objectively bad and, and, and they don't take well to what you're saying or how you're trying to help them improve, they're bad and you shouldn't pick them up. But if there's a good foundation, if they've got good mechanics, they're smart, if they listen to what you're saying and they take all the information and they take it and they apply it to their gameplay, 
then there's potential there and you can explore that, you know, however you want. At the level of play where where Max is, where where I coach most of the time, there's a set standard and if you don't meet that standard, you don't get to play. It's just how it works. And if you're if you're not good enough to be there, you won't be there for many, for for much longer than you are. It's okay. very cutthroat. Mm-hmm. Right. It has to be because you're trying to be among the best in the world yeah. to be able to get to the pro league. It's the same thing for anything that requires you to make a living off of being done. You've got to be the best, and you've got to consistently be the best, and you've got to continue trying to be the best, like the number one, or else people are going to come up and outshine you, and you're going to get kicked down. Optimistic, as as you know, you sounded earlier, talking about how Bermuda Academy is the top tier three team. It's like getting to the top of tier three is like being the fastest reader in the special class. It's not hard. Tier three consists of everybody underneath contenders, and that can range from players that are really, really good, like Bermuda Academy, to bronze players who have no idea what they're doing. Mm-hmm. And Tier 3 is a little bit more exclusive, but the ramifications of being Tier 3 are that you perform well in, in tournaments with prize pools, and that's not very hard. There are tournaments with gold players that you can pub stomp for 100 bucks that get you Tier 3 status. And um, looking forward and, and creating a roster like Bermuda Academy that can surpass Tier 3, can be slotted into Tier 2 and do well, is, is something that took a lot of time. You know, when I when I made the team, I was still learning these things. And, you know, players come and go, rosters change, but the team at, at its core stayed the same, and, and we've consistently just kept going higher and higher and higher in skill level, and a lot of teams don't do that. Teams in Tier 3 disband all the time, even teams with decent players on them, because it's just, it doesn't work. You can't have a team of decent players and, and make it to the top. You have to have a team of top players that enjoy working with each other, enjoy the environment they're in with a good coaching staff to take them to the next level. And when did you put this team together? Bermuda Academy uh, was originally called Redacted, uh, and it has been just over six months now. So you're pretty excited about its trajectory in that yeah. time? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, it's, it's been going up the whole time. Since our, our first week competing as a team, we've done nothing but win and, and take down teams that we, on paper, shouldn't be able to do and, and win tournaments we shouldn't be able to win. So it, it's a very promising team. You know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't still be with the team scrimming with three teams a day plus trials, things like that. And then breaking my neck to make sure that I can still be there for Bermuda Academy if I didn't believe in it. Back to the original question, how is a parent supposed to know this? Because a parent has no clue what's going on like you guys do. And and then they got this kid that says, I want to be a pro. And the kid might even believe that that's what they want to do and that they can make it. What does a parent do in that situation? There's not really a whole lot you can do. Like I said, you can can be bitterly realistic about it. You can do your homework. it's not very hard to reach out on, on Twitter or even you know download Discord if you really need to and just talk to someone in the scene. You can go on Twitter and you can find you know 300 people that are involved with contenders and you can you can go and you can talk to them. A lot of us are approachable, you know, managers, me, you know, my DMs are always open. And like if you just say like, hey, my son or my daughter plays for X team, you know, it's at XSR, this, this and that. And, and, and you just talk to someone who knows, and they can give you, you know, the truth. Like, if someone were to come to me and say, hey, my son is a 4.2K Ryan player, and he plays for Dedicated Gaming, I'm going to say, who? I don't know who that is. Uh, not a high enough SR, not good at the game. Like, it's just how it is. It's You have to be realistic about it. And some players, obviously, like, I've, I've dealt with players firsthand that are not good enough to be professional or not at a high enough level, and, and they think that they are, and, and they're... It's, it's kind of a delusion, really. 
And it, it is there, there's a scary line between for parents between their kid actually being good enough and not being good enough. And and the line in game is you know it's very thin. The difference between someone who I would consider a good player and who I would consider a bad player is about a hundred SR, which is not much. It's like two games worth of in-game ranking points. Okay, let's tell the audience what SR stands for. Skill rating. Skill rating. So this is a number that the league, that the that the game developers have created for players to get their ranking. We talked about it before. If a kid comes to a parent and says, I, I'm, I've reached platinum level, I'm going to be pro. And the parent has no idea what platinum level is. What's a rule of thumb line that if, if the kid, if they're below what level, they're not really serious? So I, when I first played Overwatch, and this was before there was even a competitive mode in the game where you could play competitive games, which is how you get skill rating. I placed gold, which is average. 2,500 is average, and then 5,000 is an impossible rank you can't get, which is the best in the game. And then there's bronze, which is all the way down to 1 SR. So I was right in the middle, and it took me about till the end of that season, which at the time was a couple months, to get up to diamond, which is like, at the time was top 8%. And then a couple seasons later, I got up to grandmaster, right? I don't think, especially if they're younger... You can judge, like, there's no baseline for potential. Unless you know what to look for in somebody, like, if they have a good attitude and if they're able to problem solve, or even if, like, if they don't think very much about the game, but they are just able to subconsciously figure out what they need to do in the next situation and then completely destroy the enemy, right? Even if they do it low chances, right? They can slowly improve it. it you can't read potential because there's so many different types of potential in which people can get better, right? Mm -hmm. And there are some things that you can look for, like their ability to understand the game, but the ability to understand the game isn't necessarily required for a player to be extremely good. They just need to be able to play the game, be able to play the game well. It's, yeah. it's that simple, right? And you can't really judge that, especially if you aren't in the scene, right? It takes a lot of resource re uh, research, and even... At the level that I'm at, I can't speak for Taylor, but even at the level where I'm at, it's hard to accurately judge potential every time. And there are some players that you put them in a good environment, you put them with players at a similar or higher skill level of them, and they will surpass the players around them in a very short amount of time. Or you can see players that look exactly the same on the outside, but you put them in that same environment and they either stall or they improve incredibly slowly. And that could be a whole bunch of factors, but you can't read into a mind like that. So the best thing to do is, in my opinion, give them the whole cold hard truth of chances, right? The actual likelihood that they will succeed and that they will be able to get to the level and stay at the level that they need to or else they will not make it, right? Because unless you get to Overwatch League, you are not making a living unless you are a streamer. Even if you're the best player in, the con in Contenders, even if you're the best coach in Contenders, you need to be Overwatch League level minimum to make a living, right? And there's a lot of different things that can go into that, right? Uh, you might need the support of your parents. You might need to pull a couple part-timers, right? There's a, and that comes down to your own personal living situation. But what it comes down to is limited amount of time for you to get to a very small percentage of the world's population. And having that outlook that my chances are low, but if I apply myself correctly, you can make a lot more use of your time. Whenever I was back, uh, like instead of being just lounging around thinking, yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna make that YouTube video um, in a week because I'm gonna feel like it then. You know, you gotta you gotta apply yourself in the moment, or else you're never gonna make it. Because all all people have are the now, right? 
And if you keep trying to say that I'm going to apply myself to get better in the future, or even if you try to apply yourself now and don't do it properly because you feel like you have all the time in the world, it won't work out. So you need to show steady, fairly rapid improvement. How long, if you can give just a ballpark in the estimate, is it something that should take, say, three years or four years or two years? Do, do people do it faster than that if they're incredibly good, or do, yeah, does yeah. it always take years to be able to get to that level? Depends on how much you play the game. Aiming is a skill. Overwatch is a skill. If after 300 hours you're stuck in you know gold or platinum and there's no uh, objective incline in your in your skill level, it's it's not for you. It's not realistic. If you've put 300 hours into a game, you should be good at it. You should be so good at it. Uh, you're in that top 1%. It took me, when I first started playing the game, uh, I placed at 1,690 SR. I was a silver player for a very long time. I one-tricked one hero for about 100 hours, and it, it just didn't work. Silver is the second lowest rank. Yeah, second lowest rank in the game. And then the season after that, I started playing you know, my main hero, and after about 100 hours, I'd climbed two ranks. I'd went, I went from silver to diamond. And then the season after that, I played 150 hours of comp, and I went from about 3,000 SR flat, which is diamond, to 4,400, which is grandmaster, top 1% of the game. I'm not good at the game. I don't consider myself to be a good player, and I'm nowhere near the level to go pro, and I probably never will be. But I, as a coach, as someone who didn't want to go professional in this game, made it to the top 1% of the game within 500 hours. And I started playing very, very casually. I'd play like maybe two, three hours a day. And then obviously on the further end, about a year later, because I was at, uh, at, a, at a level where I could say like, I want to grind this game out really hard. I was playing like maybe 10, 12 hours a day. Different people will commit different amounts of time. But even playing a game very, very casually, if you find yourself committing more than, you know, 300, 400 hours into Overwatch, even playing as casually as possible, you know, two, three hours a day, if, if you find yourself at that point and you're not trying very hard and you're at a low rank and you try and you can't, you know, you can't move out of that rank, you can't get much higher, it's, it's, it's not for you. It's not realistic. What, what do you think? Because you've been playing Overwatch for how many years now? So I, I played Overwatch since launch, which is basically around like two and a half, three years. I started playing competitive 6v6 Overwatch, which is how you get to go pro, 2018, late 2018. It was the last OD in 2018, I think. And then I, uh, that was not a very good team. We went 5-5, five and five, which is not good for Open Division. And then I went and got into a different team, and we went, like, 8-3. and three. Not as bad, right? And then I'm, now I'm on Bermuda Academy. So about maybe a year total of 6v6 Overwatch. And as to prevent burnout, right? It's good to work hard, but you don't want to overwork yourself. Because at the end of the day, you want to do what you enjoy. And if you do it to the point where it feels like homework every time you do it, it's not worth doing. At first, I was playing the game a lot, right? Because I had a lot more to improve on. When you have a lot more to improve on, it's a lot more gratifying to play. And also, I I didn't have that same mindset of not burning myself out. But either way, I got a lot more enjoyment out of the game because I had more to improve on. I had more skills. Yeah, uh, easy results, right? I've gotten to the point where... Unless I feel like I'm rusty or I'm lacking a skill that I need to improve on, I only really play whenever I'm scrimming because that's the best learning environment for me. Some people may disagree with that. You've been playing on a team, 6v6, before you just played pickup games? I just played uh, competitive mode. It means you're getting matched with and against random players 
right. still six feet six. Still right? six feet six, but, but not a team. Not organized. So then, once you develop the skills that you're good enough to play on an organized team, then you're working on developing your skills of being a good team player yeah. at a very high level, as opposed to an individual player who can just well, join a team. You need to be an individual player and team player. It's a mix, right? But and you have to have the you have to develop the individual skills to be able to get onto a team, and then you develop the team skills to complement the individual skills. Yeah. You can't be you can't go pro without having both. Uh, for the young kids who want to try to be an Overwatch pro, develop your individual skills by playing, and you could probably tell them what skills that they need to develop, uh, or is it just everything? So the, what it comes down to is applying your time correctly. It's, if you want to get better at the game, there's no point in playing the game just to play it unless you want to do it just to have fun, right? Like, you can... Of course, when you're a pro, you can play the game just to have fun. Most probably don't because they're playing the game a lot already. And the mm -hmm. competition is the fun. Like, for me, the most fun thing is always the competition. Mm -hmm. But let's say you... at Like, right now, you're spending five hours a day playing Overwatch. Or let's say a more reasonable time of four hours, right? That's what a lot of players in Tier 3 Plus play. If you are playing that time without having any specific goal of how you need to improve, you are wasting your time and everybody else's time. If you are playing just to play, right? There is, of course, is the habitual skills like reaction time and visual identification, right? Which you can train and you don't need to be consciously aware of them to train them, right? But let's say, for example, I am playing McCree. McCree is a pretty simple character. You aim, you click, they die. If I'm missing a lot of shots, my first priority is to work on hitting those shots. If I'm missing a lot of shots, and then don't make the conscious effort to say, I am going to expend the effort to make sure I hit shots. Maybe I need to focus my eyes more. Maybe they're getting blurry. Maybe I need to eat some food so it's easier for me to focus, right? I'll experiment with different ideas. Maybe I need to lower my sensitivity on my mouse so I can be a little bit more precise. Or all of these different things, right? Tinker with it. And you might not get it, get it eventually. But if you have that goal in mind, you are not wasting your time. And you will steadily, if you apply yourself correctly and don't get overly frustrated with if you're at a plateau, right? Because plateaus happen, they're fine. Just keep working to get past them. You will be improving, right? And whether or not you improve quickly, in the end, only matters based on your living situation. What it comes down to is if you can improve at all and continue to improve, even once you get to the top percent, that's when you'll know that you have the potential, right? Because people, a lot of people, I'd say... Almost anybody who uh, applies themselves on a basic level can get to the top 1%, which would make it not top 1%, right? But if what it comes down to, right, is continuing that level of improvement consistently forever. Because people will always get better beneath you, right? To stay at the top, you need to continue to get better, or else you will be dragged down. People will pass you up. Yeah, so, or you will just get worse. So. And I, I've said this a couple of times, the same phrase, but what it comes down to, right, and this is for any skill, if you want to be the best, and if what it requires to be the best is never wasting your time whenever you can improve and always having a clear idea of where you need to. And when you need to work on a skill, you go to the practice uh, of There's the game. a whole bunch of things that I can do. If it's a game sense, right, if I need to know more, I'll talk to somebody about it, like I was doing with my team before uh, we came to do the interview. 
If it's mechanics, um, I'll probably get it to inf into a free-for-all, which means uh, everybody can shoot everybody, and you're, fi you're fighting a whole bunch of people that are also trying to kill you. So it's an intense environment. It's really good for practicing aim in very difficult situations. So I'll practice my mechanics that way. If it's an attitude problem, I'll just take a hard look at myself and get some water and get right. some food. And yeah. I'll be like, stop that. Bad. <laughs> All right? Okay. And like you can you can figure out your own tricks, right? For me, what I do is going to be different than what someone else does. Like a lot of my teammates like to go into competitive and either experiment or just dick around because that's what helps them de-stress, right? What it comes down to is experimenting and finding what works for you. And if the one thing doesn't work for you, try something else because eventually you'll find something else that works. Or if you really need to. Just stop playing the game and do something else and then come back and improve and really focus. Like, if you if to improve, you just need to stop playing the game, stop playing the game. One thing that I used to do is I'd get off Overwatch and then I'd replay a moment in my mind over and over again, replaying different situations until I could figure out what I know for sure will work. And then I'll do that next time, test if it works, and if it doesn't, I'll try something else. A lot of improvement is just trial and error until you get it right and then applying that. We're going to wind down, but I want to get into the one issue we talked about. Uh, it, it just keeps coming up in the news, and uh, recently video game addiction was added to uh, the, the list of mental health disorders. A lot of parents are concerned about for their kids that are playing all the time. Do you guys know how you can tell if someone has a video game addiction? Well, it depends. If the person in question is playing the game to to, to go pro, but they're not good at the game, let's say. Let's, let's say a gold player says, oh, I'm really close to going pro. Like, that's a delusion. You're not. Mm -hmm. And and if they're playing, you know, 10, 15 hours a day, you know, not sleeping, playing the game, and, and they're not good at it, objectively. Not even just Overwatch, other games, League of Legends, you know, Call of Duty, even World of Warcraft. Like, if you're not good at it, and you're not playing it casually, or you're not you're not streaming, you're not playing with your friends, you're not having fun, you're not interacting with people, then it, it becomes sort of an addiction. I think if you play a lot of video games, uh, and it's not necessarily an addiction, no matter what, it always comes back to how good are you at it. Because that's, that's really what helps draw the line between are you addicted and are you not. Okay. Well, it's also, so there's a couple of clarifications or classifications that, from my perspective, right? I used to play a lot of a game called Team Fortress 2. And though a lot of, a good amount of it was just leaving the computer on overnight, I have at least 4,000 hours on the game, which is a lot of time. Yes. And I really loved that game, right? Mm -hmm. But I wouldn't say, like, even looking back on it, because I, I think I'm generally good at looking back at my past self and being objective about it. I wasn't addicted. I was obsessed. And I was obsessed because I didn't have anything else to look forward to. I wasn't exact. I didn't have the most drive to spend time with my friends, right? I've always been okay with just spending time by myself and doing things I enjoy. And I've always been that way. And there wasn't really much of a reason to do something else that I enjoyed less, right? Mm -hmm. And it's not, I'm not saying that's, it's a good reason, but that doesn't mean that it's a good thing to do, right? Because, like, let's say you really enjoy tennis, right? You love tennis more than anything else. So you're always going to be playing tennis. You play tennis six hours a day. But then it gets to a point where your ankles are starting to ache and your wrists are starting to get worse, right? 
and then somebody from on the outside says that it's not good for you, but then you keep playing anyway because you enjoy it just that much, right? Even if you acknowledge that, like, I, I as a kid didn't acknowledge these, but even as an adult, right? Because a, a video game addiction still applies if you're an adult. It's easier on kids, obviously. But you can pass off the negatives if the positives are that much more enjoyable, right? So if it were me, looking at my past self, if anything were to work to get myself out of that, I would... Like, let's say you wanted them to spend more time... If you were a parent and you wanted them to spend more time with you instead of playing this one game, offer to play with them. Even if you don't know what you're doing, offer to play with them. And oftentimes, kids will be into that. So you'd play with them, they'd get more familiar with it, they'd get comfortable with it, right? And then you could suggest other games that are kind of similar, right? Do your research, look into our games that are similar but are a little bit different, right? So then they get used to you suggesting different ideas, and then you can wean that into even more stream games, like if you want to bring them from first-person shooters to a game like Mario Kart. At that point, they're so comfortable with playing with you and playing different games with you that maybe they can play Mario Kart with you. And then you can keep transitioning it into other things, like maybe they, uh, they'd want to play Sorry with you one game. Or if they're not interested in Sorry, just find a different type of board game. And then you can transition it like maybe they'll want to do something else. One of the uh, signs that they use for determining if someone is addicted is are they neglecting other responsibilities and for a student their responsibility their primary job is to do well in school and to get good grades grades are not necessarily an indication that they're learning but it's the best indication that we've got and so i would say to parents use grades as the primary yardstick to measure if your kid is devoting enough time to things outside of gaming and if their grades are suffering then they're gaming too much whether they're addicted or not, they're gaming too much. It's easier to tell with adults if they're not, just like in any other addiction, they are not taking care of themselves. If they're ignoring other responsibilities, they say they have work to do to maintain living residence. Now, it's different whenever you have a chance at becoming a pro. If you think that you're going to become a pro and you have a lot of good external feedback that you are going to make it as a pro, it's different. But if you're not planning to go pro and you're not working to make a living and, and you're neglecting your family and neglecting your spouse uh, and other friendships in order to play the game, you've got a problem. You've got an addiction problem and uh, you need to get help and back, back away. Find other things to do with people who care about you and, and get away from it. These two, Max and our guest, Taylor, you guys are close, you know, closer than most to getting to the pro scene. What, what's your guess? First, I'm going to ask Max, what's your guess? How long will it be before Taylor's a pro coach in Overwatch? I don't know how the offseason goes. Um, are there a couple months or until the next offseason? Mm-hmm. At most, yeah. It'll take at, at most that long. A couple of months to a year. Uh, to the next se- like whatever, because he's going to keep improving. And I can see him still improving all the time. So it's easy to see that there's a high demand for really good head coaches. He's one of those. And he's going to keep improving on where he's uh, where he needs to. So it'll either be demand reaches him first, or he'll improve to where other people, like he's demanded more than demand needs him, if that makes sense. I think I know what you mean. How about, Taylor, what do you think? What's your estimate? For me or for Max? For you. I'm still trialing with a few teams now. Obviously, if I continue to do well, it could be as, as, as early as next week, realistically. Yeah. But obviously, there are external factors. Like, I'm not the only one trialing. You know, maybe I have a personality trait that they don't like, which I try to avoid. Try to be likable. 
Yeah, yeah. I try to be as approachable <laughs> as I can. Um, yeah. Realistically, it could be next week. It could take another year. Uh, I think something that sets me apart from a lot of coaches at a higher level, um, it's a little bit more apparent. But um, down here in, in Tier 3 and Tier 2, in the, in, the, in the slums, not a lot of coaches care about their players. Over the, over the six months that I've been working with everybody on Bermuda Academy, even the players that have come and gone, I've always taken the time to make sure they're okay. You know, their home life is okay. You know, they had a good day. You know, if they go to school... You know, I'll, I'll ask them about their personal life. And a lot of coaches and a lot of staff at a, at a higher end will say, you know, sometimes, you know, there's a there's a line that you can't really cross between being their friend and being their coach. And I, I think I walk the line pretty pretty solid. So now the other question for you, how long do you think before Max is a pro? If I weren't holding him hostage on Bermuda Academy, because I know the team as a whole can make it to Contenders Plus, I could see him getting onto a, a mid to high tier Contenders team as soon as they would trial him, to be honest. Some lower-tier Overwatch League teams get benefit from having players as talented as him, and I strongly encourage him to do as many trials as he can, as, as well as all the other players on Bermuda Academy, even the ones on the bench. I encourage them to do as many trials as humanly possible at a, at a Contenders Plus level. But I think Max specifically, if I were to reach out, if I were to get him trial blocks with you know owl teams, high Contenders teams, I, I, I would say he's got a pretty good chance. So any, anywhere between... Whenever next open division ends and we go into trials and playing contenders, um, you know, five months from now, depending on how the off season goes, if contenders teams uh, and academy and uh, Overwatch League teams start trialing within the next month, you know, maybe he gets picked up then. Do you agree with that? He knows more than I. Yeah, they think. <laughs> I'm just gonna keep playing and keep getting better until they pick me up. Before we close, are you on Twitter, Taylor? Yeah, I'm on Twitter. Tay the Destroyer. T A Y. Okay. Tay the Destroyer. All right. And on Discord? Uh, Destroyer 1993. And so if a parent wants to ask you a question about how their kid is, mm-hmm. is that all right with you? Yeah. Uh, if anyone wants to contact me on Twitter, on Discord, whatever, you know, you can, I don't know how a little podcast thing works, but you can definitely put that as an option. I'm down to talk to anybody as long as I'm not busy. Okay. I like talking to people. I like educating people. Fantastic. That's why he's a coach. <laughs> right. Well, I want to thank you both again. Thank you, Taylor, for joining us for this episode. It's been very enlightening. This is probably the, when we talk about the path to pro, this episode probably given us more insights into how that will work than anything that we've had so far. So, you know, feel free to tweet about the podcast. Hopefully it'll be up in a week and I'll let you know, uh, Max will let you know when it's up. KidProGamer.com, you can also find it under My Kid Wants to Be a Pro Gamer on iTunes or on SoundCloud. Or if you just type in on Google, my kid wants to be a pro gamer, it'll, it'll show up. Thanks again for doing this. I uh, appreciate the, your time and your insights to everybody out there in uh, gaming land. What if people say good gaming? Everybody says good gaming. Yeah, GG, good game. GG, good game. GG, easy. All right, great. Till next time.